Thank God for that hiding place. Let's turn tonight, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I certainly greet you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a privilege it is for us to be gathered together tonight. Everybody feeling the pressure for our meeting coming up this week? That's why I thought I'd bring just a little simple, joyful sermon tonight to help everybody. <laughs> what are y'all doing laughing like that? Come on, people. My goodness. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. We're coming with great anticipation to see what the Lord's going to do for us and speak to us and change lives and heal the sick, not only in their bodies, but in their spirits and their souls, wherever they need healing. We serve a mighty God, don't we? <clears throat> Let's consult tonight again with the master builder. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, what foundation? Jesus Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. How shameful that anybody would want to lay stubble on Jesus. Hay on Jesus. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Saved, but without a reward. Saved, but without a reward. I don't want to stand that way, do you? I don't want to do things for the sake of reward, but I want to do what I can do to be able to bring it and lay it at his feet. It's not that you and I are worthy of any reward anyway, because when it's all said and done, as the parable that Jesus said, we would say that we were unworthy servants, but we do it because he is worthy. I may like to be remembered tonight as we pray, as we look into the word. God bless you, me too. Let's just pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we realize as we stand here in your presence before these people, each of us one day are going to be called before that great high place. As Christians, we will not go through the white throne, but as bride, we will come up and give an account and we will answer according to the book the book of remembrance. So Father, I pray that you would help each of us that whenever we stand there, there will be so many things that you have helped us to accomplish for your kingdom. Not for us, not for a name. We don't do it for reward. We don't do it for back payment. But Lord, we do it because we love you. 
Help us, Father, that we can open our hearts tonight to your word. Lord, you see we're under great anticipation of the meetings coming up this week, and we're just praying for Brother Tim on Friday, Brother Ron on Saturday, Brother David on Sunday. Lord, those that will be traveling in from all over, just pray that you'd watch over them and give us a great time together, Lord, as we come to fellowship around your word. We ask it tonight, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What a great thing godly works are. What a great thing to be attributed to a changed life. We know that works are so important, both in the direction of light and in the direction of darkness. Jesus gives us the astounding parable and tells us that the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to a man when he's going to divide the sheep from the goats, and they will stand there as sheep, not actually sheep, but as sheep. And he puts forth this profound parallel when he'll say, you didn't take care of me when I was hungry. I was in the hospital, as we'd say, I was sick, I was home, I was weary. You never even come and saw me. I was hungry, you never fed me. I was naked and you never gave me any clothes. And they'll say, Lord, when did we ever see you like that? Well, I never lived in your day. I lived in 2020, I lived in 1900, I lived in 1800, I, I, I never saw you. He said, when you didn't do this to the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it to me. And then those that are as sheep, they're not sheep because sheep don't stand there, he will turn right around and say, enter into the joys of the Lord because I was hungry and you fed me. They said, what? Well, we never saw you. I was naked and you clothed me. I was this and you did that. I was this and you did that. Lord, when did we see you like that? I I never lived in your day when you did it to the least of these, my brothers. Now, once you notice that Jesus separates these people from brothers, these people who had done this were not actually brothers. But he said they treated his brothers that way. Now, look at what a great thing it is in the eyes of God in the way that we treat his brothers. So there will be people that will actually be turned into hell. Have you noticed Jesus doesn't say, you laughed at my name. You laughed whenever you heard that I healed the sick. You ridiculed whenever you heard somebody speaking in tongues. But Jesus said, because of the way you treated my brothers, you are lost. And then to the other group, he'll say, well, you believe John 3, 16, and you, you believed in shouting, and you believed in jumping, and you believed in signs and wonders. No, simply because of the way they treated his brothers. So myself, as I look at that, I realize that It's not just important how them people treat his brothers, but also how important it is for his brothers to treat his brothers. 
Amen. His sisters to treat his sisters. So God always has been identified in the reality of lives being changed. And we can see that even in the Old Testament before the new births. Jacob, Moses, so many, and their lives were touched by the power of God and were changed. And the New Testament certainly does not end that effect of good works, but it ties from the old to the new. So every one of us, now not just the older people like me and your moms and your dads, but you young people, when you stand before the Lord, you will walk before him and there will be the book open. And there will be another book open, which is the book of life. Now, every one of us have books that are going to be identified with who we are. Now, if our name is in that that special section of the Lamb's book of life, our name can never be removed under any circumstances at all. But then there's another book, which is the record of our deeds. Now, in that is what we're talking about tonight. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew, or Malachi, rather, chapter 3, verse 16. Malachi 3, 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them. Now listen why this book is written. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them. Now it's written before him, but it's written on your behalf. That feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. So now this is how important that it is to God that we just remember his name. So when we're going through things of life, hardships, difficulties, trials, whatever it is, and we just remember that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and we just think about him in the time of distress, that is actually written in the book of remembrance under your name. Now that's just when you think about it. And whenever you remember him and remember how good he is and how wonderful he is, much less whenever you act upon it and say he is mindful, he will help me in the midst of trouble, he will do this and that and the other. You imagine all of that is written. How many things was written about us today, this very day in the book of remembrance when Satan tempted you? When Satan come at you, when Satan tried to make you doubt, God won't move for you. But the first thing you've done in your mind, you remember, but wait a minute, the Lord has always been mindful of me. He's been merciful, so merciful to me all the days of my life. Now, not only did it do something inside of your soul, but there was writing taking place in heaven because you thought upon the goodness of God and you remembered his name 
and remembered his power. Is it any wonder that Satan does not want us to think that way then? That he wants to get us so caught up in the things of life and trouble and heartaches and sadness and the darkness of the world. Why, sure, I don't blame him. If I was the devil, I'd be doing y'all the exact same way. So I say we need to do it more than we've ever done it. You believe that? Now notice then, so a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Now notice what they do. They remember the Lord and they think about him and they feared the Lord and they thought upon his name. Now look at verse 17. The promise that God makes to those people and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Now listen while God identifies this class of people that are living on the earth. They are God's special treasures. And God identifies them as precious objects of his love and his mercy and his great devotion toward humanity. That God looks at these people. Now think how outstanding it is to God whenever we think about him. This is what God said. Now, not just the length of your hair, sisters, the length of your dress, and you brothers don't wear dresses and you don't paint up your face and you're not that weird class like out here, but whenever you do simple things like thinking on the Lord, that puts you in a treasure class of people. Notice what God said. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice the way Malachi writes this, and he puts the word host in the plurality form. So it's host as in plural. Remember, Jacob had an experience with the Lord of hosts himself one time, and he called it by a special name, Mahanahim, Mahanahim. The camp, the two camps, and Jacob had a revelation from God that God had come down with an angelic host and he had come with another host. And it was the meeting place of the two camps and he calls it May Anahim, the gathering of the two camps. So here God being identified as the Lord of hosts, he's not just the Lord of the angelic host, but he's the Lord of the earthly host who think upon his name who bless his name, who worship him, who live for him. Now notice what God said in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. What a blessing it is to us as the people of God that God would look at us. Now these are works that we're not doing for brothers and sisters, but we're doing this directly to God. So when you're in trouble and you think about him and that very thought, so simple to us, well, who would think that God in his great infinite wisdom and all the things that God has got going on, but when you're under an onslaught of hell and whenever you simply allow your mind to think about the goodness of God. 
Lord God, you've been so good to me. You have been so wonderful to me. And Lord, I cannot think of one time of the decades of my life that I have served you, that you've not always been there every time. And you're just thinking about it and encourages you and helps you. Little did you know the Lord God had them angelic scribes to write it down in a book. Now, you didn't do it to your brother. You did not buy the widow some coal for the winter. Winter time, you did not buy somebody some groceries or somebody's supper, but you were simply thinking about the Lord God and his name and his mercy. And it meant so much to him that he said, write that down. I'm gonna add that to Donnie's book. I'm gonna add that to Carol's book. And when she stands before me that day, there will be page after page not of just where she's prayed for people, not of just where this man has helped maybe pay somebody's car payment, but there will be page after page of adoration and praise and adornment and thoughts and love and all that that he done for me, that she done for me, that she thought nobody even knew. Do you believe, friends, that every thought that you have toward the goodness of God, it means so much to him, he will reward you that day when he gathers his jewels. I'll tell you one thing, it ought to make us want to love him more than we've ever loved him in our life. It ought to make us want to give him more than we have ever given him. How many agrees with that? Now think that that means so much to Almighty God that he would have a book of remembrance. So here in this section is what we do for one another. Now we know because we're baptized into the mystical body of Christ that we are members one of the other. And even though there will be people among us that will never prophesy, some that will never preach, some that will never speak in tongues maybe, never have dreams or visions or any of that, but that does not mean to the Lord Jesus they don't have as much value and he loves them just as much if they never do any of that as he does the greatest prophet that ever lived on the earth. God has the ability to look at his children and they stand before the foot of the cross, every one of them on equal basis. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad that he don't love me less because I'm not the great preacher that you're gonna hear this weekend. Now you're fixing to hear some great preachers and we're gonna hear some great men of God. And we've heard some great men of God. And you know, I realize I'll never be that kind of man. I'm not that type of a caliber of a man. But the Lord helped me realize years and years ago that he will never hold me accountable for another man's ministry. And he'll never require of me what he gives to this man, to that man, to another man. All he will require of me is what he's given to me. And I've accepted that a long time ago. So I want to be the very best that I can be for what God's given me. And he will require no more of me than that. I don't want to be anybody else. Now, come on, somebody say amen. Well, you say, well, I can't hardly do this and I can't do that. Be the best that God's given you and that's all that God will ever require of you. But keep in mind now that when we look at doing something for the Lord and what we're doing in the way of works, that God equips each of us and gives us a certain ability to do certain things. And God also sets a boundary. Now the problem is with adoption as it was in the Old Testament, so is it in the New, that if Ephraim planted corn, everybody wanted to plant corn. 
If Judah planted barley, everybody wanted to plant barley because there's something about it that it's so much easier for us to look at somebody else's work and think, oh, they're doing a good work. I wish I could do that. I wish I could be like that. I hear some preachers preaching, I think, Lord, have mercy. And what in the world did God pick up this redneck hillbilly out of Kentucky and call him to preach? I couldn't even carry them guys' briefcase. And hear some of them, the way they put this and that and the other together, you think, Lord, what in the world do you even want me for, Lord? But apparently, he wanted me for something because he called me and he gave me the ability to do something. So I've learned that Paul said, they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. So God calls every one of us and we minister according to the ability that God gives us. And the church says, Notice now in Acts chapter nine, verse three, as Saul of Tarsus now is meeting the Lord Jesus. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now I've been listening to a tape called In His Presence in 1962. If you haven't heard it, you ought to listen to it. It's a really good sermon. But I've been hearing Brother Branham say that Paul did not believe that God was a man. So he could not understand this about Jesus and he couldn't understand about the body because he did not believe that God was a man. So he's asking him now this question because he believed God was a light or a pillar of fire. And he was right to a degree, but he had missed the dispensational change to where that God had condescended from being a light to becoming a man. So here Paul simply asked the question, oh Lord, who are you? Now watch, he must have been overwhelmed when he hears this response. I am not the Lord God. Now notice he does not say, I am Adonai. He does not say, I am that I am. Now if he would have said that, he took him straight back to Moses. He'd been looking for a bush to be on fire and he would have thought the fire in the bush was the Lord God. But notice how he answers him. I am Jesus. I am a glorified man. Now, you see what he's fixing to do is open Saul's understanding to a new dispensation. Now, he's gonna also merge that into the, Paul's two dispensations behind, actually, and now he's gonna help him to see that God had become a man, and now that man had become a church. <laughs> Woo, glory. Well, you see, he was way back under thinking that God was still alive, and God was a fire. Well, he introduces himself as I am Jesus. Well, now for Paul, being a Jew, this Jesus, of course, the way they looked at it naturally was a Jew, but he was a blasphemer. He was a man. So for him to ask the question, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Adonai? I am Jesus. Now notice, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But yet Paul had never even seen the man Jesus. They have no record that he ever saw him. So how was Paul persecuting Jesus? 
in the form of his church. Now think about it, the Lord Jesus identified his body as himself. So I wonder if the Lord Jesus doesn't do the same thing today, that he identifies his body as himself. So how does it make him feel if we as members of the body treat other members of the body in a way that does not please the Lord? Or how does it make the Lord Jesus feel whenever the Laodiceans will laugh at the members of his body? And whoever it is, government officials or whoever more, and they will treat the members of his body in a bad way. Now if they would ask the Lord Jesus currently, who are you, Lord? He'd say, I'm in my bride. And when you persecute her, you persecute me. So what an eye opener that this was. So Paul catches it in a twofold way. That I am Jesus, I am a man which has now become glorified and I am feeling the hurt of my wife as you are persecuting her. I don't mind telling you, friend, if the people of the world know who they were rubbing shoulders with, I think they'd treat us all a lot better. I think that if we realize who we're going to church with, we would treat one another a lot better too. Well, praise the Lord. Now, notice he said it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, Paul must have received, oh Lord, I cannot imagine how this man must have felt when the realization finally hit his soul that whenever he was persecuting this body, this must have been overwhelming. Nothing in the Old Testament had ever even been similar to that at all. And when he was persecuting the church, he was persecuting the Lord Jesus. So now his view is totally changed about the mystical body of Christ. So Paul from this point on begins to look at the body of Christ in a total different way than anything he'd ever seen before. So it's no wonder that God allowed this man and gave him such inspiration to write about the body. As a matter of fact, he preaches more about the body of Christ than any of the rest of the writers in the New Testament. Watch him in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have, listen to this word, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now, I do really believe in addiction. It's not to marijuana, it ain't to nicotine, it ain't to your cell phone. <laughs> but I do believe there is a scriptural addiction. Now these people, notice how Paul frames this, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and this was of the house of a brother by the name of Stephanus. Now we don't know too much about this man, what they'd done, but Paul just summed it all together in these beautiful words and said, they have addicted themselves to the, to the ministry of the saints. Now I want you to notice how Paul coins these terms. Now your Paul was a lot like the church age messenger in our day. When you go to really studying the Greek words that Paul used, there was no secular use of some of these words. As a matter of fact, scholars still rub their head and say, where do you even get some of these words at? 
And they say that Paul actually coined, is the term they use, that Paul actually coined some of these words because it had been never been used before. Well, I can see that and understand it clearly. There'd never been a group of people on the earth like them, so God had to give him words like they'd never been before. You know, Brother Branham used words before that Mr. Webster probably strike his head and just scratch his head and say, where in the world to get that from? Well, you know, Paul then, he used this word, which is not used anywhere else in the Bible, and he identified this particular group, this house, which was a family, and that they had addicted themselves. Now, we all know enough about addiction. We're living in a great age of addiction. When people get addicted to a substance, when they get addicted to whatever it is, they absolutely have to have it. Now, they've got to have it. Uh, you know, it may start out in the morning and they don't drink it. They have to have, uh, they have, to have their coffee or they get a headache. And by 11 o'clock, if they don't get it, well, glory to God. Oh, but we know that it can go into the form of drugs and go into the form of this and that. But this is the first time that the word was actually used in the Bible and the only time. So these saints had become so addicted. But I want you to notice how Paul says when what they were addicted to. He said that they have addicted themselves. So it wasn't like that they got around the saints or they got around the ministry because the ministry was actually what they addicted themselves to. It was the ministry to the saints. The ministry to the saints. So these folks had got such an understanding that the ministry was so absolutely essential that without the ministry, the saints could not flourish. Without the ministry, the saints could not grow. Without the ministry, the saints would never grow spiritually. The churches would never become more and more and more. Well, hallelujah. You see, they wouldn't like a lot of message folks that didn't think we need, didn't need preachers no more. But these folks felt like it was so necessary that the ministry, but I want you to notice how that Paul terms this, that he identifies that the ministry to the saints. So it was not the other way around that the saints were actually the servants to the ministry, but the ministry was the servants to the saints. So these people called an understanding of how essential that the ministry was and they addicted themselves to helping the ministry in every way they could. So can you imagine what a great thing it must have been? So instead of going around and trying to add burdens and load and difficulty and so on to the ministry, that they'd done everything they could to try to lighten the load. They would pray for them. They would call their name before the Lord. They would do everything they could in so much that they become addicted. And they said, I- I've got to do something for a preacher. I just got to do it. I- I- I've got to do it. I have to have it. I've just got to have that fix. Lord, help me. I've got to have it. Oh my goodness. I wonder what kind of message we'd really have if we had about a half a dozen that was addicted to this. If some of y'all was addicted to this as you are to Facebook, my goodness, what a church we'd have. If you're as addicted to this, I watch some of y'all sometime. I watch them dings and buzzes and this and that and the other on your phone. And as soon as it goes off, I don't care. You're standing there talking to whoever and you'll grab that phone. You're so addicted to that thing. You can't let it buzz one time of that. It getting your attention. I reckon you figure you're that important, huh? 
Are you that important that Biden contacts you every day, asks you for counsel and advice? Come on, get, get real, get next to yourself. You ain't nothing but a six foot pile of dirt like all the rest of us. You ain't that valuable, you ain't got that much worse. The only worse than any of us is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my, so these saints had addicted themselves. Notice he said, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So they had such a burden, such a desire in their hearts and they had devoted themselves to the ministry. Notice he does not put it in a singular form. Well, it's just my pastor, my pastor, my pastor, my pastor, my pastor. Oh, my pastor, you're a worshiper of a man if that's all you think about. But they didn't look at it as just being one particular man but they looked at the ministry. So it would have been pastors, it would have been evangelists, it would have been teachers, and they wanted to do everything they could do. They wanted to pray, they wanted to be able to help them, maybe if they could financially, who knows what they could do, but they addicted themselves to serving the ministry because they really had an understanding that if the ministry is where they need to be and their help, the saints will grow. The saints will abound in the goodness of God. It ain't no wonder the devil hates the ministry in the day we're living in and attacks it like never before. Well, praise the Lord. So they showed them hospitality or provided for their needs or they prayed. We really don't know what all that they done, but they attended to everything they could do insomuch that they were addicts. Well, praise God. One of some of the very few addicts that'll ever walk down streets of gold. And they continue in their addiction, no doubt, until they pass from this life into the other. And that addiction drove them to page after page after page of good works. And one day them addicts are gonna stand before God and the Lord Jesus will open them books and say, oh, my brothers, oh, my brothers and my sisters, look at what you've done. You helped Paul. You helped Epaphras. You helped Timotheus. You helped this one. You done that. And by what you did, you strengthened their hands. Remember Moses, that mighty man of God when he stood up there and as long as his hands were raised up holding the rod of God, the children of Israel defeated their enemy. But after a while, Moses' hands got so tired. You can imagine gravitation pulling you down the blood, trying to pump up in your arms. It would be the natural feeling for any of us after so long for your hands and your arms to get tired and they would go numb basically. So what did Moses have to have? He had to have some guys to come over and they stood under his hands, under his arm, maybe one under this arm and one under that arm and they stood right there. They're a man of God. Keep your hands up high. Keep praying. Keep reading. Keep studying. Let me do what I can do to lighten your load. Let me do what I can do to keep your hands up, Moses because when man Moses' hands come down, they begin to lose the battle. Let me tell you, it's the same way in the last day. If the ministry gets sidetracked on this and sidetracked on that, our churches will lose the battle. That's why we need people of God that will pray for the God-called ministry and do everything they can to hold up their hands and pray and say, God, help my brothers. God, strengthen my brothers as you're holding up their hands. You are helping yourself because as you minister to the ministry, the ministry turns right back and ministers to the saints of God. 
Let me show you a kaleidoscope of an assortment of things that people did in the Bible. Let's look at another man by the name of Epaphras. This brother in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras. Epaphras was a minister in the church at Colossae. Now, notice what Paul identifies about this man. Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently for you. In what? Laboring. Look at the meaning of this word. Strive, fight, to enter into a contest. Contend in the gymnastic games. To contend with adversaries. Every time I read this verse, I think about Brother Darrell Ward. He's one of the prayest men I know. And it ain't a show. It's from his heart. I spent a lot of time with him and hear him pray. He don't pray that way just in front of a microphone. But he prays that way when you're out hunting, whenever you stop to get food, whatever. Because that's the kind of man he is. I wonder how many saints know how to labor in prayer. Isn't it amazing that this guy was a preacher, but Paul does not tell us what a great theologian he was. He doesn't even tell us if the man was straight in his doctrine. No doubt he must have been, but we don't know anything about his great depths of the word. We don't know anything about how many people he won to the Lord Jesus. We don't know anything about how many souls that he won, but one of the things that was so outstanding to Paul about this brother was that he labored fervently for you in prayers. Now this is what he prayed for, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You mean the brother was not praying for new Cadillacs and new Ford pickup trucks and new Jaguars and you know, bigger houses and my, and a new this and a new that. No, but the brother had such an understanding that the afterlife was what burdened him for the saints of God. And he would get down to pray and it was like he would enter into a gymnastic game. You can imagine like your brothers get over and run up and down that ball court, back and forth and back and forth and you're sweating like a bunch of hogs when you get done. And what's accomplished? Some of you old men hurt your knee, some of you fall and hurt your foot, I just hope they got enough insurance to cover all this stuff. But I wonder, I'm not against that now, but I wonder if we wouldn't be a better church if some of us didn't pray till we broke through in a sweat and we entered into another game. A game against Satan and all of his demons. Satan, you're not gonna stop my brothers. You're not gonna stop my sisters. They are gonna come to a place of perfection in Christ Jesus. 
Notice this is not the norm of praying. This is not the now I lay me down to sleep. Some of y'all make it past the word sleep. This was laboring, laboring. Praise God. And some of y'all have been wondering what you could do. I know somebody said, Brother Donnie, when are you going to tell us? Here you go. I'm telling you. Always laboring fervently with a fevered pitch. With a fevered pitch for you in prayers that you may stand perfect. Now look at this. You know, the, the, the words and the way that they go from the English, of course, to the Greek and the Aramaic can be very confusing sometimes. But I want you to notice as Paul uses this word laboring and then he goes from that into perfect. Now, this word that Paul chose to use for laboring is the very same word that Matthew used about the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed until his sweat became as great drops of blood. You see, this is why we still have grudges in our heart against one another. If you listen to it in 1958 in Chattanooga, you'll hear the prophet of God say, I don't think anyone, if you'll go before the throne of God and pray through, I don't think you can ever stand before the throne of God and come back with a hard feeling in your heart against anybody. Because you know what you do? You get before the throne of God and you realize how much help you need yourself. But the problem of it is we don't go deep enough and we go to God with faults and hard feelings and all that sort of thing and we come right back down with the same hard feelings. You need to pray more and you need to pray longer. Get this old thing of this holding your house. Thou shalt, thou shalt labor. Labor fervently till you get past your feelings, till you get past, well, he done this, she done that, till you get to a place where you say, Lord God, have mercy on me and help me that I can forgive my brother. Help me that I can forgive my sister. Come on, church, until we can get to a place that we can walk over and hug a man's neck who would kill us. Until we can do that, we're not ready for the rapture. I don't know how much we can talk about the seven seals or the seven thunders. Until we can forgive all men of their trespasses, we're not ready to fly. Oh, Jesus. My, my. That ye may stand perfect. Look at this word. Teleos. This is not sinlessness, but a full age. So Epaphras was praying for every saint that God would help them to grow up. And you imagine every time they see you, Brother Keith, I'm praying for you, brother, you'll grow up. I'm praying for you, Sister Janet, you'll grow up. I'm praying for you, Brother Donnie, you'll grow up. Now you imagine after a while, you say, look here, big boy, who do you think you're talking to anyway? I'm the preacher and said, I'm still praying for you. You need to grow up. So this man called an understanding in order to make the rapture 
It's not going to be how much we have up here. It's what we take from down here and put down here and put into action here and here. And we live this word. We don't just talk it. We don't debate it. We don't argue it. But we become the message of the hour. Living the Lord Jesus to the world and letting the world see there's a real living resurrected Savior. Wow. So Brother Epaphos prayed that all the saints would be of full age, brought to his end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness, consummate human integrity and virtue. You know, Paul never said Epaphos prayed when he felt like it, the way many of us do. Nor did he pray when he was told to pray. It was a ministry. Now he's a preacher. He's a preacher. And you imagine now this is, this is the way this brother's known. He's only mentioned one more time in the whole New Testament. And again, it's not about his great ability to speak. It's not about, well, he would hold people spellbound. But there was something about this man's ministry that was so overwhelming that Paul felt to pin it and write about this man. Thank God for a man like Epaphras. You see, he was not praying when other believers prayed. And when they stopped, he stopped. He prayed when they didn't. He prayed when nobody told him to. He prayed when he felt like it. He prayed when he didn't. You see, that is a ministry. Well, people say, well, I've got a ministry for this and a ministry for that. Well, if you do, then you'll do it when you're up. You'll do it when you're down. You'll do it when you're in. You'll do it when you're out. You ain't gonna have to be begged to do it, pumped to do it, primed to do it, paid to do it. You're gonna do it if it's a God-called ministry. Well, notice now in verse 13. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. And them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. So here this man was so effectual in his praying. I love this, that God would burden somebody to pray. And some of you may say, well, all I ever do, Brother Donnie, is pray for you. I have people ask me all the time from around the world, is there anything I can do for you? Can I send you and your wife on a vacation? Name the place. Is there anything you want? Is there anything I can do for you? My answer is always the same. Yes. Pray for me. But this is the kind of praying I was wanting you to do. Dear, gracious Heavenly Father, I am most grateful for this blessed opportunity that I can come before you. Lord, I want to remember Brother Donnie while I'm at it. No, I had more of this in mind. Satan, take your hand off of my pastor. You get away from him, devil. He's a man of God. You ain't gonna stop him, devil. He, I need him. I need him. The church needs him. Get a hold of him, devil. Get away. Get away.
not only will do me good, that'll do you good. It'll scare them devils to hell. Say, good Lord, I don't want to get around that idiot. You know, imagine that guy, he will get his plumb beside himself. Well, they can feel so sanctimonious around some of us because we don't act like we're in a game. Act like you are playing basketball. Act like you do playing pickleball. Act like the way you do playing soccer and football. I mean, put your heart into it. Put your sweat into it. Devil, I've come to contend with you. Take your hand off of my daughter. Take your hand off of my pastor. Take your hand off of our church. Satan, in the name of Jesus, back off. Back off, Satan. in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 for this cause we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Notice the direction that these brothers prayed. Now this is Paul. This is not a paraphrase. Now this is Paul and this he's telling them what he prayed for them that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, Now look, they didn't spend all their time bringing their list to God. God, I need this, I want that, I want that. Look at the things they prayed about. Understanding, joyfulness, patience in the middle of trials. Anybody hear me tonight? One of the sisters from our church texted Carol one day this week. Said her little son, he heard me mention here on Sunday about Brother Darrell having a prayer list and I said it'd probably be a good thing for the rest of us to have one. So this little tiny lad sitting right here looking at me now told his mama to text Carol and ask her for a list of people he could pray for. And I thought, how awesome. How awesome is that? Look, I don't care if it's a little boy that gets it. If some of you old stubborn heads won't get it, praise God. Let some of these young ones get it, Lord. Second Thessalonians 2.16, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God even our Father which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now wow, how he would take word and work and put them hand in hand. So establish you and every good work. So in other words, it's not something you do on occasion. We're supposed to be as established in good works as we are in good doctrine. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints. You mean to tell me when I help you 
and you help me and we help one another. We are doing this to the name of God. How many would buy Jesus a pair of shoes if he needed them? Suit, shirt, whatever he needed, right? You have the opportunity. How many would help Jesus if he needed a month's rent? He didn't have no house, so he didn't have to pay them taxes. Like that, anyway, property tax. He didn't own anything. He became poor that through his poverty we might be made rich. Not so much in houses and lands, but rich in the good things of God. Notice this, he says, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. So God is not unfaithful to his promise. So the fruit of salvation is seen here in ministering to the believers and identified as good works. Now what's then when we go to doing things for God, doing things for his people? There always comes a warning. I know this seems strange, but it's because we're still dealing with this human part of ours. So we go to doing things for people and we help the church do this and that and the other. And then we have to always counterbalance all of that. Watch how Paul did this in Galatians 6, 3. Warning against self-estimation. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So you see, pride always overestimates oneself. Pride causes people to evaluate their own worth and they will always over-evaluate themselves. So I am worth so much. I mean, I am so needed and I am so important and I'll, uh, I don't have a glass of water, but I'll use this. Brother Ram said, you want to know how important you are? Let me get it down where everybody can see it. Show me the hole. Show me the hole I made in the drink. I heard him say it yesterday. He was at a museum and they had the value of a human body. So they took the valuation of it, so much copper, so much, you know, this and that and the other. And he said the value on that day, which was 1962, was 84 cents. So with inflation and everything under our current administration, you might be worth 249 by now, <coughs> since everything's went up. And he said there's two boys standing there, one of them was named Jim, one of them named John. He said, boy, John, we sure ain't worth much. He said, boy, we sure ain't. He said, I turned around and told them boys, but boys, your soul is worth 10,000 worlds. So as far as our humanity, it ain't worth very much at all. But yet Satan tries whenever we go to doing things for, for God and for his people, then Satan will try to twist it around on you. Now this is one of them words <clears throat> that I mentioned to you a while ago that Paul himself coined, and it's a very peculiar word, deceiveth himself. It's a very peculiar in the sense that you can't find it nowhere else in classical Greek writing. And he himself, he said, Paul puts himself under an hallucination. 
So the man looks at himself and he hallucinates. So the man walks up on the scales of value and he weighs 500 million tons. That's what he thinks he weighs. But in reality, he ain't but six ounces. But he looks at himself and said, Lord, have mercy. I knew I was important, but I didn't realize that is important. Lord, well, the Lord must have made the whole earth for me. Why, I'll tell you one thing. He must have made every flower with me and mine. He made every tree with me and mine. I'll tell you one thing. He just couldn't function without me. I don't know how in the world the church even has service without me. We did fine before you came. We'll do fine if you go somewhere else. Y'all did okay before I came. And if I go somewhere else, you'll do all right without me. I'll tell you how important we are as an individual. Not very, but as a group. We are irreplaceable. We are irreplaceable. Oh, I don't care how much you think you're worse than our friends. Every one of us need the Lord Jesus greater than we've ever needed him. And not only that, we need one another. No man is an island. God don't save you to set you off by yourself. Mm. You see what I mean? I just wanted to bring something that kind of ease the pressure and lead us into the weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, y'all with me, it's okay. Galatians 6, 4, but let every man, wow, prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. My goodness. And not in another. Let every man prove His own work. Young people, God don't want you going through your teens and your 20s and your 30s trying to look for what does God want me to do. Well, sure, it'll be revealed to you farther along as you go, but don't waste these teen years of your life. Don't waste these 20s of your life. Learn to, learn to pray. Learn to bear one another's burdens. Don't wait till you're done wore out and then say, okay, God, is there anything I can do? Yeah, y'all go sit down in the recliner. Why you got your strengths? Why you got your stamina? Why you got your desire to do something? Oh, I'm Brother Dan, why don't you run there and start doing something? No. Pray. Pray. I love this series on adoption. Listen to this in 1960. Brother Bram talking about the mothers of the patriarchs. When they were born, positioned, born into the kingdom of God, then the Holy Ghost set them in. Now watch it runs the parallel between Israel, the Old Testament, and the New Testament saints. The Holy Ghost has set in the church apostles, prophets, some teachers, some pastors, some evangelists. Then he's given into there with speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, knowledge, wisdom, gifts of healing, all kinds of miracles. Praise the Lord. So does it mean because every preacher is not called to preach conventions? He's somehow less man. I feel sorry for some of these brothers in the message because a lot of them will never preach a convention. A lot of them will never be drawn to this place or that place or another place. And they attend those meetings and they sit there knowing that they'll never stand behind a pulpit and preach to hundreds or thousands. They know that they'll never do it. I wonder sometimes how some of them walk away and we rally around the big people and make them feel like they are totally useless. But I wonder where our message would be if it wasn't for such men. 
I wonder where we would be if it wasn't for such men. That if we're not careful, we will pick out who we think are the great heroes and we leave the unsung heroes back in a corner somewhere. So I was reading about this this week and I came across an article where there was this certain great, great man in the evangelical move, not in our move, but in the evangelical move and had written this famous book about how to make Sunday schools grow. And he went through all these principles of doing this and that and the other on how to make it grow. And this, this certain preacher had went to hear this guy and he got up there and gave the oration. It wasn't really a preacher, you know. But he got up there and gave his speech about what to do and people coming up to him after he had given his speech and him signing the book and autographing the book. And this preacher went over there and talked to a friend of his and he said, in reality, you ought to have been the man up there doing that because you and I both know that man right there don't even have a church, and he has never even had a Sunday school class. All he has done is got together the principles of the success of other men. You're the one who's caused that to happen, and he's making a name off of the success of other men. Well, that's the way it is a lot of times, isn't it? So they will become the rich and the famous and the important, but to strip out those little men. The prophet one time in a meeting, and also you can find this on tape, where he talked about people that was fasting and come to the end of the service, and he said the lame was healed and the blinded eyes were open, and Brother Bram said, I'll tell you what caused the effect of this meeting. It was some of this certain brothers here and there and there and called their name, and he said they had been fasting since the meeting started, and God honored their fasting and their prayers. You see, that is a great man because a great man does not build his work on the labor of others and act like he himself was the one who did it. Well, praise the Lord. But he is able to recognize, I think it ought to be in the same among us, that some that may feel like they're unsung heroes, well, all I ever do is pray for Brother Donnie. Don't you ever say that as if that was a small thing. That is a great thing to me. Well, I'd never be able to buy Brother Donnie no vacation. I couldn't even send him to Asheville and back. That's all right. You don't need to. I've got a credit card. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can pray for me and you can love me and you can stand for me when things are going against me and when the things is difficult. Look, I need people to stand with me like you need people to stand with you. And what's so hurtful is when a pastor comes in one of the hardest times of his life and when you need people and then they turn and walk away from you. You ought to experience that feeling. When you give years of your life, you give sleepless nights after another and they turn and walk away from you in the time of trouble. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. What a disgrace if your brothers and sisters need you and need your prayers and need your friendship in the time of trouble. Oh, friend, let's not do them like the disciples did the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus went out to pray and he come back and his disciples was all asleep and you imagine the hurtful question that he asked, could not you watch with me for one hour? Could not, it must have broke his heart, Brother Larry, that he comes back and nobody is praying. Nobody is sitting there, oh, Jesus, Jesus, we're so sorry if he ever needed them and not one of them even showed concern. Oh, children, oh, you say, I'd have never done that. Well, let's judge the way you're treating God's people now and we'll see how you'd have treated him then. 
So you find somebody down and out in the church. We're not here to push them down farther. I don't understand. We're supposed to be the army of God and when our people get down, we go back and kill our own wounded. We push them on down. We stomp their head in the ground. Well, you may do that, but I ain't gonna do it. I'm gonna reach down even if I've gotta get my hands dirty. I'm gonna reach down if they're in the filth and the mire. If that's what I gotta do, that's what I'm gonna do. Why? Because that's what God's prophet said the people do. Look at Abraham reaching down there to get lost. He risked his own life and risked the life of 318 of his own servants to go get who? A penny. A penny. You risk the life of a silver dollar to get a penny. If you've got the love of God in you, you will. Oh, let them go. They're worthless. And who made you God? Dear Jesus, let's stand. Oh, praise the Lord. I didn't say I was done, I just told you to stand. Let me read another paragraph here to you. Where the church is, now he said, this is my purpose in doing this. The church is always trying to take somebody else's corner. But don't do that. You can never raise corn in Ephraim's corner. You're Manasseh. You got to take your place in Christ positionally. Take it. So don't just be something so you'll say, well, I'm doing something. No. Go before God. God, help me. What can I do? What can I do, Lord, to help the body? What can I do to help the ministry? What can I do to help the preachers of the church? What can I do, Lord, to help the ministry around the world? Pray for them. Well, some of you can't support them. You don't have the means to do that. But you can bombard heaven for them. God brings one on your heart at three o'clock in the morning. You may not know it may be your prayer that God will send the angel of the Lord by his way and bring him out of the deepest thing he's ever been in his life. And when you stand there that day and the Lord says, oh, I see you was woke up at 3.05 on Tuesday morning. You couldn't go back to sleep. You lay there and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed just so you'll know it was your prayer that was answered and the servant of God got a deliverance that he needed. And you saw, oh my goodness, my prayer? You mean I've done that? Yeah, your prayer. That man wants to do more for God and his people. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, as we bow our heads tonight, Father, dear God, we don't desire to be great people. We don't desire to be important. We don't want to be begging our own eyes. But if there's something you can do with us, Lord. Lord, in a week or so, Carol and I will be 67 years old. I would have never thought time would have ever went on this long. I would have never thought I would have outlived my mother and father and lived longer than them.
Lord, I've lived already longer than the allotted time you gave to your prophet. How much more time do I have left, Lord? You're the only one who knows. Dear God, I pray whatever time I do have left, help me that I can serve you with all of my heart. Jesus, I think if you you were here walking on the earth, and I read how you were treated, and I think, oh, if I could have only been there, I would have done this or that or the other. But Lord, I have my opportunity now. So Lord, may each of us look at ourselves and think, am I living just a selfish life to where it's, it's my, my job, my home, my family, my, my, my. Help us, Lord, to search and realize we are a body. And we're just a local assembly here, but we are a body that's in touch with people around the world. Lord, in every day of my life, I'm hearing from around the world. Before nine o'clock in the morning last week, I heard from Japan and India, Africa, different nations in Africa, all over the world. By noon, over the continents of the earth, this need, that need, another need, some needing a building, some needing prayer, some needing direction, some needing a question answered, some needing counsel about this. Lord, help us. Oh, Jesus, help us that we don't just live to ourselves and think all that we have is ours. We're only stewards of what you've committed to our care. Forgive us, Lord God. Help me, Lord, that I'll not turn my back on my brothers, my sisters. Oh, I hope, I hope that if I would have been one of them in the Garden of Gethsemane, that when you come back, I would have been praying or at least setting up. Would I have been like Peter? Would I? I know self-deceit is one of the hardest things to see. How would we all have been if we'd go back in time and instead of it being James and John and Peter and their other brothers, it was us. It's me and Joe and Daryl and Joel. Keith, these other brothers and sisters, it was us in the garden. What would you have found if you'd walked in on us? Would we have been sleeping too? Would you have woke us up and said, hey, Donnie, can't you watch with me for one hour? I'm sorry, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm just so, so sleepy. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord God. Lord Jesus, may we realize the way we treat your people is the way we treat you. Father, may this be such a, an alarm, as it were. We think different. We behave differently toward one another. Forgive us for having respect of persons, thinking this person is better than the other one, and they're in a better class. 
Your prophet has already told us about class. He said that kind of class was of the devil. So I don't want none of it. I don't want nothing to do with it, Lord. As a matter of fact, he went on to define class for us. He said there is no better class than the people of God. In that, Lord, I've seen around the world walk into their homes a dirt floor in their house. Some of them, Lord, with not even proper clothes on. And yet, Lord, they went out and bought me a little drink and bought me a little treat. No telling what it cost them. They wanted to bring it to me. And the sisters bow before you and walk backwards out of your presence. And the brothers come in and bow down on a knee and say, Brother, would you please pray for me? You think, Lord God, I'm not even worthy to lay hands on them folks. Make you want to bow down to them. Help us, Lord. Oh, are they poor? So poor they don't even have electricity, some of them. Don't have running water in their house. But the people that heaven is made out of. Oh, Jesus, help us, Lord. Help us not to get this old American spirit on us. We want the Holy Ghost on us, Lord. We see what's happening to this world and this nation. America's doomed. There's no mercy for her. Lord God, may we as your people do everything we can to help one another. To make life just a little bit easier. We love you, Father. Your prophet loved humanity so much that he prayed they would find a cure for cancer. He didn't pray that they'd all be healed by divine healing, but he prayed they would find a cure for it. He loved humans. He didn't just love the message people, but he loved human beings. And he prayed that you'd help the doctors to find a cure for cancer. I pray you do, Lord. Us having battled it ourselves, I pray you do. Lord God, we love you, Jesus. Forgive us of our shortcomings, of our selfishness, self-centeredness, Lord. And we wonder what we can do. We can pray. We can pray. We can intercede. Glory to God. We can think about your name. We can worship you. We can glorify you. Praise God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Forgive us for wasting so much of our time on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and this and that and the other. A bunch of wasted hours when we could be praying and praising and blessing your name and thinking about you. Hallelujah. And thinking, Lord, what can I do to make the meetings better? Lord, what can I do? What can I contribute? Maybe not money, Lord. Maybe prayer. Maybe I can pray for the preachers. 
Lord, maybe I can ask the deacons, is there anything, brothers, I can do? Could I park a car? Could I pick up paper? Could I hand out water? What could I do? to be able to minister to these saints as they're coming in from France and coming in from all different parts of the states. What can I do? What can I do? Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. We don't want this just to be our attitude to these special meetings. We want this to be our attitude for the rest of our lives. May every day for the rest of my life be centered what I can do for you and your people. Granted, I pray, Lord God. We know that Brother Branham said raising our hands is a sign, a universal sign of surrender. May we raise our hands tonight as a sign of surrender to the will of God. I surrender my opinion, my views, this, that, and the other if they're wrong. I surrender to you, Lord Jesus. Take me, Lord. Use me. Help me. But keep in mind what you want to do for God and what you're called to do for God is not always the same thing. You may think you're so talented and so gifted to do this or that or the other, and you think, well, this is my strong point. Well, I hate to be the one to inform you. He generally don't use our strengths. He uses our weaknesses. He takes those weaknesses and does the job with our weaknesses, proving that it was him that did it. Praise the Lord. With our hands uplifted, not only those in the visible audience, those of you that are streaming tonight, wherever you are. We surrender all, Lord. Hallelujah. We give you our strengths, which sometimes is our greatest enemy. We give you our weaknesses the things we're ashamed of, our frailties, our infirmities. And yet your prophet in preaching that resounding message of perfect strength to perfect weakness says that's what you take and you tackle the job with that. And Moses said he was not eloquent, he couldn't speak, he didn't have a message, all the things he didn't have and God said I'll take every one of them and I'll take over Egypt with them, which is exactly what you did. Thank you, Father. You took an illiterate Kentuckian that didn't even graduate from high school. The preachers no doubt sat behind him and laughed as he spoke his words and he didn't speak the proper language. But yet as they come to D.L. Moody and they wrote an article about him and the newspaper person said, I don't know why in the world anybody would go hear D.L. Moody. Said he whines, got long whiskers, ugliest man I ever seen in my life. Went through a whole list of things and the manager read it to D.O. Moody and he shrugged his shoulders and said, of course not, they're coming to see Christ. Hallelujah. Lord God, I pray that'll way it be with our lives. They're coming to see our nice building. They ain't coming to see our nice clothes. They're coming to see Jesus. They're coming to get saved. They're coming to get healed. They're coming to get delivered. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord Jesus. Take our hands, Lord. Take my mouth, take my eyes, take my body, take my strengths. Take what I have left of my life, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Help me, shape me, mold me, Lord God, I pray, to be what you would have me to be. 
Oh, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, help us tonight, Father. How many will say it with me? Take me, Lord. Take me, Lord. What can I do? Can I witness? Can I pray? Surely, friends, after the broad spectrum of what I've laid before you tonight, you can see there's so much for all of us to do. We can pray. We can say encouraging words. We can uplift. There's so much we can do. There's no excuse for us. Hallelujah. Sing something for us, Harry. Something that'll create an atmosphere for an altar in our hearts. Praise the Lord God. And remember these meetings that we're having, we're calling them dedication services. So before we started on Friday night, let's just have one here tonight on Wednesday. The dedication of us, the dedication of our strengths, our abilities, our weaknesses, our frailties, our flaws. Let's just take it all and just present it to him. Lord, what can you do with it? A man come to Dale Moody again, the prophet quoted this in his presence, 1962, if you'd like to hear him, said, said, Mr. Moody, your grammar is the worst I ever heard in my life. He said, but I'm winning souls with it. What are you doing with yours? Praise the Lord. Well, yes, I, I can't be like so-and-so and so. No, but you can be what God has made you to be. Give God what you are. Amen. Young people, you've got your use. You've got stamina. You've got so much. Oh, you may not have the wisdom some of the older people ask, but we'll help you with that. We'll help you with that. Don't wait to become 60 or 70 and you get your wisdom and the fire's already gone. But see what God will have you to do. Don't just run. Just, well, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. No. Go to him who brought you here. And say, what do you want me to do? I don't want to spin wheels. I don't want to waste my time. What do you want me to do? How I many wants to do something for him? What about some of you young sisters? What about going visiting some of these sisters that can't come to church no more? How about some of your brothers get a guitar and go visit some of those that can't come to church no more? Shut-ins, we call them. Let's not forget about them. Well, well, they don't get to come to church no more. Well, let's take church to them. Let's just reach out and say, is there something we can do? Is there somebody that we could reach out to them? And you stand before the Lord Jesus that day, and he opens your bones and says, oh, I see you took your guitar over there. You'll never know what that meant to them. They laid down that bed that, that night in their bed, and they wept like a baby, and they thanked me over and over again for you coming and singing them, them pretty songs. And the Lord Jesus added it to your account. Why? Because as you sung to her, you sung to him. As you sung to that brother, it was like you were singing to Jesus. You remember the story that the prophet tells us? It was in the days of the Depression. And a man had a sick wife. They didn't have Medicare, Medicaid like we do today, but they would have vouchers that would be administered to you from the local official. So you couldn't pay for your medication, you'd have to go stand in line to get a voucher. So this man had a sick wife. He went to the drugstore to get it, and he said, sir, he said, I promise you I'll go stand in that line, I don't care how long it takes, I don't care what it is, I'll do it. He said, sir, I'm sorry, we just can't do that here. We, We just can't do it, if we do it for you, we'll have to do it for everybody else. He said, but my wife is so sick. I promise you, I give you my word. If you'll give it to her right now, I'll go stand there. And I said, 
we, we just can't do it. We, we, just, we just can't do that. And the man telling him Brother Branham was the owner of the drugstore, he said, Brother Branham, I heard that story. And I said, wait a minute. I was sitting back in the office. <laughs> he said, I got up and went out. And I looked at that woman. He said, she was so sick. And he said, let me have that. So this man went and filled a prescription. And he brought it out and laid it in that woman's hand. And he said, Brother Branham, when I did it, it was Jesus. I laid that medicine in the hands of Jesus. I said, do you believe that? He said, yes, I believe it. Because he said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Sometimes the least things that all of us can do are things that we think have no value. But you imagine that day when he stands before the Lord Jesus and the book is That man will walk up there and he'll say, thank you for that medicine you give me. I was so sick. Thank you. Jesus, when did I see you sick? You remember that day in your drugstore? Oh, God, help us. Forgive us. Forgive us of our humanity, Lord. Sing something. Can we just worship him a little? I mean, just wants the Lord to help you tonight with all your heart. You just want to be a different person after tonight. You just want him to open your eyes and Open your heart and open your understanding to look. God might anoint some of y'all to become addicted to help the ministry of the saints like you've never before. God might help some of you to become addicted to prayer to where you pray for the saints and the sick and the needy. Who knows what he'll do? I hope opportunity after opportunity has opened up in your understanding. I look upon my life and realize at last that in myself there's nothing I can do. And yet here I stand to offer all I am. Yes, Lord. I give myself completely Lord to you take my life take my life Lord God a living sacrifice can we just present it to him know that it's the least that I can do 
such a tremendous way. God bless you. Love you with all my heart. Let's sing it together. You're dismissed as you would like to go if you want to just take her and pray a bit. Anybody want to just come, come and pray around the altar, you're welcome to do that too. God bless you. Love you in the Lord. Let's sing it together. Take my life, Lord. A living sacrifice. 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is only your reasonable service. Oh, Jesus, holy and acceptable to you, everybody. Oh, take my life, a living sacrifice. Yes, oh, it is the least that I can do. There's nothing I can do. Yet here I stand to offer all I am. I give myself completely, Lord, to you. Worship you, Lord God. No, it is the least that I can do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Holy Lord God, minister to the needs of your people tonight, Father. In the name of Jesus, those around the altar, those at home, Father. Lord, those among the pews here tonight, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, we worship you tonight, Father. We want to just begin these special meetings right here tonight, Lord. We don't want to wait till Friday night. We want to start right here tonight, Lord. Hallelujah, take us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. We love you, dear God. We I cannot love you, Lord. be content until I reach that place. Yes, Lord, how can we? How little I have given Lord up Jesus. to you. Lord, to My desires, your oh, granted, I pray, Father. Want to give Thank my you, everything Jesus. 
but you're dismissed if you'd like to go. I am nothing without you. I am nothing without you. And what key? I am nothing without you. I am nothing without you.
Thank you. 